All right. Welcome, everybody, to another session of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I'm going to go into a real quick recap of what's going on. So, uh, uh, Nithis was um, uh, apprehended by a bounty hunter from the Windhavian Empire uh, when her. Uh, when her past came screeching towards her and caught up with her very quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. She was taken to Windhaven along with the rest of you, uh, where she was uh, set to go on trial for uh, the crime she was accused of committing uh, against the Empire. Uh, last session, um, uh, you all went to various cities that you'd been to before to pick up sworn statements uh, that you can read uh, during the trial in support of Nithis's good character. Uh, and this session, uh, we will do the trial. <laughs> um, so uh, it's, it's going to be a bit a few days uh, in, uh, in game since the last session. Um, if there's anything important that happened in that day, we can cover it next session. But I do want to just kind of get started with the trial as quick as possible. Because I have a hunch it's going to take a little while. <laughs> nah, we'll get her convicted real quick. <laughs> well, that sounds terrible. I, I mean, it's accurate, like it. probably. Yeah. yeah, I mean... But... I don't like Discord. I'm struggling. Why does it need to know my birthday? Make sure oh, that you're not a child, age. I think. Who thinks children aren't lying about that? Oh, they lie all the time, but this way the tech companies can cover their ass, which is more important uh, than actually. Culpability is the key word here. Yeah. <laughs> Your Honor, we asked and they said that they were overage, so we just believed them. <laughs> I don't want to claim my account. Oh my lord. Keep going. I'm just going right. to keep grumbling. Alright, so it is the third of Sylvian. It is a King's Day. Uh, uh, the day of the trial. Uh, you all are um, led to uh, this uh, large, uh, impressive, uh, circular building uh, made of marble. Um, and you are led inside by <laughs> Barrister Aran uh, to uh, the courtroom itself, a large uh, circular room uh, inside of this uh, building. Uh, from floor to ceiling, about a hundred feet. Um, on the the first thing you notice uh, on the far side is a statue that takes up nearly that hundred feet of the original Empress of the Windhaven Empire, uh, Empress Jessica Thanadorn the first, which is um, what's the word I'm looking for, which is towering over you and over these proceedings, uh, and an intentional reminder of her power. Uh, you all. Uh, so a circular room, um, kind of amphitheater style uh, in that there is a circular ring at the bottom uh, with a chair, uh, a kind of an ornate chair, which is obviously where people testify. Uh, you all are on the right side, kind of against the back wall. Uh, you've got um, uh, kind of a long marble table for you all to sit and convene at. Uh, and, and chairs um, for any witnesses that you might call. Uh, uh, Nithis, your family uh, is there as well. Um, uh, I turn around and wave to them. <laughs> um, they, they kind of awkwardly yeah. give a 
a tentative, a tentative wave back. Um, uh, on the opposite side um, of the uh, of the uh, of the pit, you see three uh, sort of boxes uh, with a chair in each of them that are empty currently. Uh, and as you're standing there waiting, a uh, door uh, on the opposite side of you opens up uh, and then walks um, a man that uh, Barrister Iran quickly identifies as Prosecutor Osterman Lucatio. Uh, and I've actually got a picture of him that I can uh, give to you all in the chat. Uh, before we really start, I have a quick question. Yes. How many of my friends wish me a happy birthday? <laughs> oh, yes, today is uh, Brinley's birthday in game. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is a fact that all of you did know because yeah. you were there for her proxy uh, birthday celebration by proxy in East Hill. I will remember it. I will say happy birthday. Thank you. Oh, you don't have to worry about me. You're on trial today. <laughs> oh, and then the, here's a picture of uh, Barrister Aran. So, where's that coming through in the chat? Uh, I put it in Messenger. Yeah, um, it was also in the handout. Read. If you read the handout, okay, I did read that. Yeah, I felt in Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, it's kind of funny. I picked the picture before I had tapped Eli to do it. It does kind of bear a small resemblance. <laughs> Small. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, and Nithis, behind um, behind the prosecutor, you recognize two people uh, that come in with him. You recognize Admiral Reginald Marsden, who was the superior officer. Uh, that, uh, and then you recognize Master Chief uh, Tybalt Jonesen, who was the only survivor, only uh, Wintavian survivor of the incident. Um, uh, Admiral Marsden, uh, is middle-aged. She's got um, kind of close-cropped you know, military salt and pepper hair, uh, uh, bright blue eyes, sort of a, just a hawkish look about him. Uh, Master Chief Johnson uh, is young. He, he's, he's in his early 30s, but he looks younger than that. He's got bronze skin. Uh, sandy brown, kind of curly hair, uh, and uh, he looks a bit uncomfortable to be here. Uh, I was kind of hoping he was a tabaxi. <laughs> his name's Tibble. He's king of cats. Admiral Marsden kind of uh, looks at your way, uh, Nithis, and just kind of seems to stare a little bit through your skull. Uh, not a very, a very unpleasant look on his face. Hmm. Um, and uh, as you all kind of awkwardly stand there and wait, does anybody have anything they want to say before the trial gets started? Barrister Ron, is there anything you want to say to your... <laughs> what, what's, what, did I do something funny? Or... No, Matt did. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, oh my God. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, a fantasy bailiff comes out and says, uh, 
all you tell it's a fantasy bailiff because reasons. All, all <laughs> ye yeah. all ye rise for the Imperial Majesty. Uh, and has everyone stand up. Uh, and then walk um, three intercessors. Uh, uh, the first one that walks in uh, is a uh, human uh, with um, kind of porcelain white skin, black hair, tied up into a bun. Uh, uh, and they sit on the left side, on the leftmost uh, chair, or I guess right from your perspective. Uh, uh, following them is uh, a, a middle-aged satyr woman uh, wearing a uh, Full naval uh, formal uh, formal regalia, lots of pins and medals and and various things like that. Uh, uh, she's got um, kind of a darker skin, white hair cropped close, and horns that resemble a ram. Uh, and she sits on the uh, right chair, uh, so left if you're looking at it. Uh, and then uh, last, um, walking in is an elderly human woman, uh, bronze skin and thick wavy white hair. Uh, she looks to be maybe in her 80s, uh, but is spry for her age. And uh, she walks up and sits in the center box, which is set up set a little higher uh, than the rest. Uh, and as they sit, uh, the uh, boxes actually float up off of the ground about, uh, about 10 feet. Uh, so they're eye level with you all uh, in your area. Uh, <laughs> uh, Amanda, do you do you earnestly believe that? Like a hundred percent believe. Um, here, here's what I'm going to say. Uh, so uh, the chair in the center is a magical item. Uh, it will detect lies, overt lies. However, it does not detect lies of omission. Truths that are stated in a way that may be misleading, nor statements that are false, but are believed to be true by the speaker. Um, and so I may occasionally ask if you're lying, but also if you do tell a lie uh, intentionally, please let me know, so. What if it's a lie you've been telling yourself for 22 years? <laughs> You'll just have to try it and find out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe some harsh truths will be discovered. Um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, as the chairs, as the uh, boxes sort of reach their, their apogee, uh, the uh, center intercessor kind of raises a hand and gestures for y'all to <laughs> sit back down. She says, the, the trial today will be to determine the guilt or innocence of one Lieutenant Commander Nithis Eltman who was accused of the following counts of crimes against the empire. One count of murder of a superior officer, one count of murder of a fellow officer, three counts of murder of a subordinate, and one count of desertion of duty. Uh, we've received the plea of not guilty from uh, Barrister Aron a few days ago. Uh, so we shall begin here shortly. Uh, point of order for those of you that are new to the country and the court, do note that you are, though not citizens of Windhaven, expected to follow the proper protocol and laws of the Windhaven Empire. 
As such, you will refer to me as your Imperial Majesty as I am representing the interests of the Empire, the Empress herself. Uh, my name is Grand Imperial Intercessor Vena Relaveco. Uh, your Imperial Majesty shall suit for any interactions you have with me. Uh, the, um, the naval intercessor to her right says, um, yes, I am Admiral Megara Kerales. I am the intercessor representing the interests of the Navy in this case. You may refer to me as Admiral. Uh, and then the minister to the left, uh, they say, ah, yes, my name is uh, Minister Amar Byrne. Uh, I am representing the people in this matter, and uh, you may refer to me as Minister, or Your Honor, or Amar. I... Hmm. Whatever, whatever is most respectful to you at that time. Uh, all right, with the with those introductions out of the way, <clears throat> I believe that. Uh, as is protocol, uh, we shall begin this proceedings with the opening statements. Uh, please keep them brief and persuasive. Oh, one more thing. Oh, I actually doesn't say one more thing. She probably would have mentioned this before that she says, uh, the, your fate will be decided by this panel of judges. Uh, you only need a majority of the intercessors to agree on any count. Unanimous uh, votes is not necessary. Uh, if sentencing is required, uh, as the Grand Imperial Intercessor of this trial, I will be, I will be, per, I will be conducting any sentencing that needs to be done. All right. Well, uh, Prosecutor Lucatio, if you would give us your opening statements, please keep them brief and persuasive. <laughs> So out of game, Chris, you're gonna have to tell me if I'm running long, just kind of give me a, a speeded up motion. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, so I push back my chair uh, and stand and sort of smoothed out my prosecutorial robes. Um, I take a couple steps forward to address the three floating intercessors, um, but then also sort of angle myself so that I can speak to the gallery as well. Uh, and I begin thusly. Uh, Good day, your honors and your imperial majesty. It brings me no pleasure to be here because this day we must prosecute someone who should have been a rising star, an officer who has given our deepest trust and respect to carry out the business of the empire. Today, I tell you that Lieutenant Commander Nithius has betrayed her empire in the most heinous way possible for the unlawful, unconscionable slaying of her fellow members of Naval Advance Team 7. You may ask, how do I intend to prove that she committed these asks, but... My dear intercessors, you know as well as I that the lieutenant commander did in fact kill five fellow service people. I hope you don't mind if I list them so that they may be recognized. Commander Ernest Draven, Lieutenant Macario Reagan, Private Danny Tavitz, Private Dimitri Brand, Private Liana Cosmos, all told 60 years of experience and service with our Navy and all dead. All that is left to do here today is correctly assign culpability. We are asked to judge Lieutenant Commander's heart and her claims of self-defense. If her person was in no danger at the time she began her assault, then this trial is over and the state's point is proved. This will be a trivial task. 
While the lieutenant commander will claim she acted in self-defense, we know that she was the aggressor, recklessly and viciously slaying two officers before they had the chance to react. And when three scared privates stood against her and their own self-defense, she killed them too. Her hands bloodied, she then fled to a hostile nation where she remained for six months until located and recovered at cost to the empire. These are not the actions of a person convinced in the righteousness of their cause. These are the actions of someone who was, at the very least, seized by homicidal, fratricidal intent, and at the worst, by a traitor. What we do today is in the service of the empire, and it will help close this chapter in a book long overdue. Good day. And then I sit. Excellent, Eli. Thank you so much. All right. Um, thank you for that, Prosecutor Lucatio, uh, Barrister Iran. Your opening statements, please. So Iran springs up and begins to pace uh, very quickly uh, around as much space as she's been given. <clears throat> yes, I must confess to the court that I am giddy. I am in awe, I am in awe because we have so many members of the illustrious Haven Navy with us today. And that this awe comes in part for, from a deep love for this country and the military that strengthens and expands our beloved empire. And, and, and it also comes from a mechanical toy, a Haven sailor made out of metal that my father gave me as a girl. And this court may not be aware, but my father was a very poor, but a very hardworking merchant. And while we often had little money, he was very kind hearted to his children. And one day he gave me this mechanical marvel and it would do all manner of things. It would march and it would play a tune and, 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 and even unsheath its little metal sword. And how I loved this toy. I must have played with it for hours. And one day it stopped working. And I cried and I cried and I begged my father to fix it. He pulled it apart and after much searching found a little spring. This is the source of the trouble, he said. This troublesome spring. Now, 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 how much like that little metal sailor our military is? Every commander a gear, every lieutenant a cog, every lieutenant commander a spring, all working together in brilliant precision. And what holds all these cogs and springs and gears together? Is it Windhaven's wealth? No. There have been many wealthy nations who are not as great as an empire as we have. Is it Windhaven's beauty? I would say there are nations as beautiful, but no other nation has Windhaven's honor, its respect for law, for ethics, for morality. A gear or a cog or a commander might fail, they might fail. But as long as the honor of Winhavi is intact, our nation endures. And this honor is what's on trial today. Not in dispute is Nithis's actions. She did what was necessary to protect not her own life, but the lives of innocent civilians. I, I, I will instead show that Nithis's actions were justified. They were justified because a member of the Winhavian Navy killed a civilian in cold blood. 
I will show that her commanding officer did nothing to stop this atrocity. I will show that she left a commander alive, a comrade alive, to testify to these events, even though when doing so would put her at risk. I will show our glorious Windhavian military is in danger of a rot of corruption. I will show that the atrocity that was planned in Flexi was planned at the highest levels of the Navy. And lastly, I will show that it is the duty of every Windhavian and especially their soldiers to remain faithful to the morals and codes of this great and good empire. Excellent, Ruben. Thank you, Prosecutor Iran, for that statement. All right, well, as the burden of proof is on the empire to prove these charges, we will start there. Prosecutor, it is your, uh, or Prosecutor, it is uh, your witnesses first. Thank you, Your Imperial Majesty. Uh, the prosecution first calls Admiral Reginald Marsden. Uh, with that, Admiral Marsden stands up, smooths his uniform, and walks down the steps towards the chair. Uh, and uh, with a nod to uh, the intercessors and a small salute to uh, intercessor Corrales, uh, he sits in the chair. And uh, as he sits down, uh, the intercessor says, and I will remind the, <clears throat> I will remind the admiral that the chair will detect lies. So make sure that your testimony is truthful. And uh, Admiral Reginald nods and looks to, uh, looks to, um, Prosecutor Lucatio to start his questioning. Admiral, thank you for being here today. Let's start out pretty straightforward in an easy manner. I just want to hear your description of the morning of the operation before the crime occurred. Uh, he says, it was a fairly typical morning. Uh, it was the uh, the 17th day of the bright moon. Oh, that, that was changed slightly, sorry. Uh, 17th day of the bright moon in the year 779. We were, uh, we were in the uh, Western marches uh, near the Telvian Gulf, getting the area ready for occupation. He says, uh, on that morning, uh, I'd received verifiable intelligence that the city of the town of Bexley on the coast was possessing a horde of weapons, including magical armaments that they intended to use against the Windhavian Empire. As such, I ordered Commander Draven and Advance Team 7 to go to the town of Bexley and disarm the village and return the weapons to Imperial possession. Uh, however, Advanced Team 7 never reported back. It was later that day when Master Chief Johnson P 
appeared disheveled and out of sorts uh, and reported on the incident that had happened. As he, said, as he told me, he said uh, that Lieutenant Commander Nithis Eltman had used some sort of magical powers to kill the rest of the advanced team and told him to come and report that back to me. Thank you. Uh, now, if it won't interfere or reveal any state secrets, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about the intelligence you received that allowed you to uh, suspect that Bexley was hiding these uh, weapons. There is much more I would like to tell you on that subject, though obviously for state security or imperial security reasons, I, I cannot uh, go too deeply into that. However, I can say that whenever we are preparing an occupation, such as the one that we currently are maintaining in the Western marches, that we will send, send forward um, members of the state or the uh, spycraft community to gather intelligence so that we're not going in blind. Uh, the, uh, the source of this information uh, from Bexley in particular uh, comes from a trusted Windhavian spy who has been working for the Crown for over 15 years. Why did you select Commander Ernest Draven for this mission? Well, Advanced Team 7 is one of our, well, at that point, was one of our most decorated units. They had a long, long history of successful completion of missions. Uh, and to be honest, uh, Lieutenant Commander Eltman and Master Chief Johnson were new recruits to the advanced team. This should have been a simple operation and was designed more to just get them acclimated to the advanced team and just test, test how well they could complete a mission. What was your impression of the commander's character? Is he prone to disobeying orders? Commander Draven was a naval man through and through. He had a sterling record. He was the leader of Advanced Team 7 for three years at that point, uh, hand-selected myself. He uh, had over 20 years experience in the Windhavian Navy and was a graduate from the Thanador Military Academy. Now, all of this is but prologue. So now, if you could, please, can you tell me what happened? What was the first sign you had that something had gone wrong? Advanced Team 7 should have reported back from Bexley no later than, than 1400. Uh, however, uh, no one arrived, had arrived uh, to check in. And it wasn't until well, after sunset that Master Chief, Master Chief Johnson had made it back on foot. What did the chief say to you? Uh, he said, he said, Lieutenant Commander Eltman had killed everyone and wanted him to tell me. He said that, uh, he said that it happened very quickly and that he wasn't sure why it had happened. Thank you. That will be the end of my questions. Thank you, Admiral. Admiral, I must say, it is, it is quite an honor to be speaking with you today. Again, I have so much respect for the Navy and for, for the 
just for, for, for anyone who, who would put on the uniform of Windhaven. So I, I must ask, are you a competent admiral? I fail to see the relevance of this question. However, I do have a sterling military record uh, and uh, a history of success in the Windhavian Navy. Mm. And I, I, I'm curious, the, what was the exact order for this mission? What, what were the exact words that you used when you spoke with Commander Draven? He says, well, it was, uh, it was nearly a year ago. However, uh, as, the best I as best as I can recall, I told Commander Draven to disarm the city and report back to me when it was done. Mm -mm -mm -mm. And so you were going to disarm the city of all, all weapons that they have had, any single weapon, any, any down to this last pitchfork? I'm, I'm, I, I must say I'm not part of the military myself, so you'll have to explain this to me. That is correct. Uh, as they are not members of the Windhavian Empire, um, uh, they, they could not be trusted with weapons. And so in these types of scenarios, when you remove all weapons from a specific town, do you actually allow them to protect themselves from the wilderness? I, I'm sure you're very aware of how dangerous it is within certain parts of our neighboring, of the places surrounding our empire. They have no protection of any kind? He says, um... We give them the opportunity of commissioning the Windhavian Navy for, uh, or perhaps the army to provide protection for them. And so was Blexley given the option to do that in this case? I cannot speak to that. I was, I was not there. You're not there. So you are a competent admiral, but yet you don't bother yourself with wondering, we're going to remove all weapons from these individuals the only thing that they would use to protect themselves, but yet I will not trouble myself with how these, these people might save themselves from certain death from the wilderness. Objection, your intercessors. I think it is quite plain to see that it is not the role of a man of Reginald's Marsden's rank to have to go, oh, he, he trusts his sub-commanders in the field. You will see in my further witnesses when we, um, that we will call upon Master Chief Tybalt Johnson momentarily, who can fill us in on some of the orders on the ground that day. Uh, military protocol, I believe, was followed in all cases, and we will prove this. I find this badgering the witness. Thank you. Admiral Cross says, uh, objection is sustained. Uh, the chain of command does exist in the Navy. Uh, Barrister Iran, you will proceed with a different line of questioning. So my question is, how large was the town of Blexley? Uh, uh, just a few hundred uh, civilians, as far as I'm aware. A few hundred civilians. And do you, are you normally in the habit of having a team of, I believe, let's see, uh, so, so little to, to remove the weapons of such a town? For a town that size, that is all that is needed needed to take all of their weapons. In the past, have you had events where townspeople might fight back against this kind of removal of the only things that they can have to defend themselves? 
Of course, of course. Uh, some towns fight back. And what were the, when you say fight back, some towns, could you elaborate if you can? Um, as a competent admiral, you should remember some of these events. Those, these events would be useful in protecting such a team as. I fail to see the relevance of this line of questioning. However, I will indulge you, Barrister. Uh, we have certainly seen towns resist having their weapons taken. However, a team of six or seven highly trained, highly trained Winhavian naval uh, officers is enough to handle it. Typically, typically said towns will give up their resistance after a short time and almost every town will have, will come around to purchasing protection from the Windhavian Empire. And so a hundred townspeople to six members of the Windhavian Navy. Yes, they are quite that, quite that good, yes. Let's say it was larger, let's say 200. Would that, would that be of concern? Would you have more in that case? I would, I would contend that seven highly trained Winhavian naval officers would be more, more than a match enough for 200 children, women, farmers, whatever it may be in a town like that. Now, it's, if we were talking a, a fortified city, obviously that would be different, but these, are, these exercises are merely for the smaller, smaller villages and towns uh, that are not worth the full army's attention. So were those six members in any real danger from the townspeople? I mean, there's always danger in the job. But, but in your experience, there was no real danger. In your own testimony, we can have this read back to you. You said that this was a simple operation, something that two new members should be able to handle. The risk was minimal, yes. Intentionally the designed so. The risk was minimal. Intentionally designed so that we could test out our new recruits. Intentionally designed so. And do you have faith within the, those who are under your orders? Of course. Of course, of course. And in, in, interesting, interesting. I, I, uh, th thank you, thank you. Um, I, I am curious, were you, when you gave the order to disarm this town, were, were you under the impression that no townspeople would be harmed during this mission? It's always possible that a townsperson could be harmed in these missions. Um, could they be killed? If they resist, yes, of course. If they resist, and, and what is your definition of resistance? Taking up arms against the members of the empire, of course. So if they take up arms, and what does that mean? Do they have to actually grab a weapon? If any member of the Navy feels their life is threatened, then of course they should defend themselves. If any member of the Navy feels their life is threatened. Yes. Interesting. So I, I will ask you, did you order Commander Drayson to kill civilians? I assuredly did not. And when you gave the order to disarm the town, did you believe that Commander Drayden would kill civilians? Only if provoked. Hmm. And after the mission on the 17th, are you familiar with what's happened within the town of Blexley? 
Yes. Uh, after after the incident, we sent uh, two advanced teams to investigate, get witnesses of the incident, and had found the town abandoned. Abandoned. So there is no one to actually corroborate from Blexlians what happened that day. None that I am aware of. After the 17th, did you order the death of any of those living within Blexley? I did not. Are you aware of any order after the mission on the 17th given by you or your superiors that could lead to the death of those living within Blexley? Sorry, could you repeat that question? After the mission on the 17th, are you aware of any order given by you or your superiors that could lead to the death of those living in Blexley? None that I'm aware of. No further questions, your intercessors. All right, Admiral Marsden, thank you for your testimony. You may step down. Prosecutor Lucatio, your next witness, please. Thank you, your royal majesty. Uh, Imperial next we, Majesty. Imperial <laughs> Majesty. Next, we call Master Chief Tybalt Johnson. All right. Uh, Admiral um, Marsden walks back up. Uh, very, you know, just very in that way that in that way, carrying himself in the way that people who've been through boot camp and are, have been in the Navy for 50 years carry themselves. Uh, 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 Master Chief Johnson stands up. Uh, his, if you're look, if, you, if you're looking at him, his hands are tremoring slightly as he, uh, as he puts, as he kind of cleans up his outfit and <laughs> walks down. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm chat. Uh, he, he, he sits down. The intercessor says, and as a reminder. Uh, Master Chief Jones, and you, any lies will be detected. He nods. Again, thank you for taking the time out of your uh, military service to come and be here today. I hope we can clear up a number of matters. Uh, you are, after all, the only live witness we have uh, for these events. So I know as harrowing as it may be, we will need you, as mentioned by the intercessors, to speak the truth. You so know, we begin. <laughs> um, can you tell me what your orders were that day, please? Well, um, uh, I, I just joined at, at Advanced Team 7 um, a week prior to, to the incident. And, uh, well... Uh, on that day, uh, Commander Draven told us that uh, we would be going to Bexley to uh, disarm uh, disarm uh, the citizens there and prepare them uh, for the Imperial occupation. And uh, what was, oh, I'm sorry, if you've got more to say, please. Oh, no, just, uh, he, he said this was a, a standard thing that we did all the time. And um, if you could, what was your impression of the town of Bexley? Well, I'll be honest. My first impression of it was that it looked kind of nice. Uh, it was there on the uh, right there on the water, um, you know, kind of uh, 
you know, small beach town sort of thing. Uh, you don't see too many of those like that anymore uh, with all the monsters in the wild. Um, but it seemed to be going well at first. Uh, we'd gathered them all up uh, into into the town square. It was around, uh, it was around uh, 1200. Uh, we had gathered up a, a pile of their weapons. What can you tell me about the, the character, the quality of the townspeople? They, they seemed angry, but they also seemed scared. Um, so they're all pretty quiet. None of them are really talking much. Uh, Let us move on to the... Um... To that that moment, um, you had mentioned everyone was gathered in the town square, and you had a good field of vision to everything around you, your other unit members, the other townspeople. He says that uh, that is that's correct. We'll move on to one of the deceased. What was your impression of Lieutenant Macario Reagan? Uh, I didn't really know him well. Um, uh, I, I I did play a, a game of cards with him. Uh, a couple nights before the incident, uh, you know, it's funny. He is a uh, kind of a, a real big guy, um, but uh, he was he was surprisingly good at cards. <laughs> I, you know, he uh, for being an officer, he is actually pretty, you know, pretty laid back. And now to a, a moment that again, if you need to collect yourselves, I understand, but. Um... Can you tell me what Lieutenant Reagan was doing before he was attacked? I wish I could. Um, I really do. He was kind of on the other side of me. Um, you know, uh, at, at the time that the incident happened, I was uh, talking to one of the townsfolk, trying to explain that, you know, we were taking their weapons, but we'd be there you know, we could come back, the empire could come back and make sure that they were protected. Uh, when all of a sudden it just started thunder, thundering and lightning and, uh, and I turned around and, and Reagan was dead uh, and then Draven was dead. Uh, so, uh, and then I saw, I saw Lieutenant Commander Eltman uh, floating in the air uh, with her hair standing up and her eyes. Well, I, I, I Electricity seemed to be coming out of her eyes. Uh, uh, and so I just threw my sword on the ground. I, no, no, fuck that. Uh, <laughs> that's why I, that's, you know, I didn't, I didn't enlist, I didn't enlist for that. Um, and, uh, uh, and then I saw the three privates that were with us turn to attack her and, and then she killed them too. Let's back up for just a moment. So your first impression, the first sign that the Lieutenant Eldman had turned rogue was with the deaths of two officers. Is that correct? Yeah, that was, that was, I mean, the lightning and thunder were first, but yeah. Yeah. Of course, of course. Um, and you mentioned that before you had a chance to react, not only was Lieutenant Macario Reagan dead, but the, but the commander of the uh, operation, Commander Draven had been slain as well. And, and could you describe the, the rough amount of time that occurred? Was this momentarily, but by the time you had turned around, I just want to get an idea of the time frame, please. Um, 
I, I, it's hard to say. Uh, I, it's hard to say, um, but I, it happened so fast. Uh, and it was, well, I'm not gonna lie, it was terrifying. Uh, but I, I think I turned, as I was turning, I think that was when Commander Draven was, uh, was struck. If you were to imagine combats taking form in a structured six second, <laughs> would you say this took one round or? No, um... it, was, it, was, it was about six seconds after command <laughs> Reagan died, sir. <laughs> so it seems uh, uh, that it would have happened fairly quickly then. There would have been no, you didn't hear the uh, commander Draven was able to even raise or shout or call for help. He was just slain immediately after. The I, I didn't hear him say anything, no. Um, you mentioned the privates. Let's move on to them. Uh, what is your impression of those three privates? And, and what I mean, um, tell me about their service up to the day of their deaths. I think it was mentioned you were a bit new to this command, but um, can you describe them a little bit? Uh, and a little bit of military training. What, what techniques are given when dealing with wild mages? Uh, well, I mean, as, as, as you know, mages are the, the cornerstone of Windhavian society. Uh, so... We all we all have a healthy respect for their power and lethality. Um, uh, as as far as training uh, goes for the privates, um, as as the uh, as their master chief, um, I mean, I'd only been with them for about a week, but I'd grown to know uh, Private Tavitz, Private Brandon, Private Cosmos somewhat well. Uh, they were all young uh, from various parts of the empire. Uh, fairly well trained um, in the situation of, of taking down a wild mage, we are instructed to strike them first and strike them hard. Uh, if you, if you let, uh, if you're, if you have a, an enemy combatant with magical capabilities on the battlefield, uh, they can, they can murder everyone in, in a matter of a minute. So we, we try to take care of them as quick as possible. So what you're saying is in order to prevent further loss of life among the servants of the empire, they, they move forward to, to attack because that was, of course, the only way to try to stop this mage who had already slain their two officers, yes? That would be a valid interpretation of it, yes. Can you explain how it is you came to testify here today? You mentioned that uh, you had dropped your sword, but why, why do you feel you were spared? I... I'll be honest, for the last year, I've asked that question almost every day. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that she spared me. Uh, but I, I don't know why she wanted me to tell Admiral Marsden about it. <laughs> Caitlin is wild shaped. <laughs> Uh, and, and what were her words to you? I just want to make clear the last things you heard her say before um, you returned to your company. Uh, she, she told me uh, to go tell Admiral Marsden exactly what she did. Thank you. I have no further questions. All right. Thank you, Prosecutor Lucasio, Barrister Iran. Yes, yes, yes. You're muted, Barrister Ron. Yes, yes. 
Uh, you muted it again. You keep muting and unmuting yourself, Barrister. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you're muted again. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Master Chief Johnson. Johnson. It's, uh, uh, am I pronouncing that right? Yes, that's that's correct. Johnson. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so while you were in this in this mission, and were you scared while you were collecting all the weapons? And in your testimony, you said that this was a nice town. Were you scared when you were collecting these weapons? No, 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 sir. It was routine. And would you say you collected all of the weapons? I, I can't say that we collected all of the weapons, but we certainly collected quite a pile, including some, some that were a mm -hmm. magical make. Um, let, let me ask you. Let me ask you a different question. Um, um, uh, some of them were some of them were well beyond the means of that town. Mm, 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 mm. Uh, that's that's not what I asked. What I asked was, had you collected all the weapons? And uh, I'm I'll, curious. I, I want to say, do you consider yourself to be a, a faithful and loyal member of the Winhavian Navy? Yes, my whole, I've dedicated my entire life to the Windhavian Navy. And if you, if you were given an order, you would follow that order to the letter. Correct. As long as it were a lawful order, correct? I mean. Of, of course, yes, that's. Although, if you witnessed an unlawful order, for instance, if a member of your team killed, killed our emperor, you would stop that, right? You, you wouldn't, you would, you would place them in, in handcuffs, you would stop that correct if if someone was attacking the empress of, of course i would and if your own commander said to attack the empress would you in fact obey that order he, he, he sits for a second and contemplates that and he says no i, I wouldn't ah, so an unlawful order an unlawful act is something that you wouldn't carry out correct Correct. Ah, I see. I see. Thank you. Very, very, you're, you're doing fantastically, by the way. There's no, no, no reason to be nervous or, or concerned at, at, at all. Um, so you, you are collecting these weapons, and you said that you are a faithful member of the Navy. So you, you would make it as in due diligence to collect every single last weapon. You, you wouldn't be lax in your, in your duty, correct? I, I would carry out my orders to the best of my ability to fulfill them as would every member of the team, correct? I would hope so. And so in your estimation, if a team as devoted as yours were asked to collect all the weapons within a town like Blexley, all the weapons within that town would be collected, correct? All the ones we could find. But your duty is to collect all the weapons. And if any weapons were hidden, you would search for those, wouldn't you? I'm not sure I understand what you're asking, but um, we What would... I'm asking is that apparently if one of you felt that your life was in danger, you would attack. Now, if any weapons are available, that would mean that your life would be in danger. So I'm trying to determine if there were any hidden weapons that the townspeople of Lexley might have, anything that might provoke one of either you or your members in your team. I mean, it, it's possible. Um, I know there are some people out there that uh, can summon weapons out of thin air. Did you trust 
your commander, Drayton? Uh, I, I didn't know him very well. I'd only been with him for a week, but there was nothing he had done that to merit distrust. And so you feel that if he were given an order to disarm a town, he could do it correctly? That he, if there were weapons that were hidden, he would be able to find them, correct? I mean, we would... I, I, I'm, I'm really, uh, I mean, um, yeah, we would find the weapons. God, thank you, thank you, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, now, let's go into the moment in question here. But before we do that, what were, what were your commander's direct orders for this town? Uh, that he gave us? Mm-hmm. Uh, to gather up the people, uh, disarm, get their weapons, find any hidden weapons, uh, and then, and then he would, he would, you know, he would give them the opportunity to be protected by the empire. Mm -hmm. And have you ever seen Commander Draven in uh, discussions with uh, another member of your team, such as Lieutenant Reagan? I mean, the commander talks to all of us at various times. So of course I've seen, of, of course I've seen uh, Commander Draven talk to Command, or Lieutenant Reagan. Mm -hmm. But both of those were the oldest members of your team, correct? Uh, well, I think, uh, God, I should have put, I should have put all of this at the bottom. <laughs> they are. <laughs> he says, I, I'm, I, I'm older than Lieutenant Reagan, but aside from myself, yes, those are the two oldest members of the of the team. And the people with the most experience within the team are Reagan and Draven, are they not? Aside from myself, yes. Now, would you say that a commander would often rely on their lieutenant? That that is the uh, job of a lieutenant, and you would say there's a bond that occurs between a commander and the lieutenant. That things would be shared between them that might not be shared with the enlisted men. Correct? Yes, but I would assume that's also the case with the commander and the lieutenant commander as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That that is all with that line of questioning. Now, to the moment in question, right before what happened, did you see? who attacked Lieutenant Reagan. Like I said, I, I, my attention was elsewhere in the moments prior, uh, in, the, in the moments prior. So I, I don't know who attacked, who attacked Lieutenant Reagan. So you didn't see Lieutenant Reagan right before the moment in question? As I've said multiple times now, no, I have not. I so you not. weren't a witness to what may or may have, might not have been happening around Commander Reagan, correct? Lieutenant Reagan. That's correct. You said Lieutenant Reagan was big. How big were we talking here? Uh, he was six foot three, uh, about 300 pounds. Mm. And the members of this town, what would you say their character is? Where the, 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 what's the tallest town's member? Objection, Your Honor. I fail to see what the bigness of Lieutenant Reagan has to do with his death. I think it has everything to do with his death because as we've already established that members of the Twinhavian Navy would not attack unless they felt 
that threatened unless their life was in danger. And now we have Lieutenant who, as Master Chief Johnson has said, big, 6'3". Uh, Intercessor Byrne holds up their hand and says, say. uh, Barrister, Barrister, uh, obje the objection is uh, overruled, but um, please get to the point, Barrister. The point is, when you, right before the moment of the attack on Lieutenant Reagan, did you feel your life or the lives of your team members were in danger? Not in any, not especially in danger aside from the- That's no, 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 no. <laughs> were they in danger or were they not in danger? I mean, on a, on a, on a mission like that, our lives are always in danger, but I did not feel that especially moment. threatened at the time. No, I did not feel threatened at that time. Now, right before the attack, did you hear something? You said, you said that there was, you remember this as well. You couldn't see it, but you were close to Reagan, correct? No, I, as I mentioned earlier, I was on the opposite side of the square from Reagan. But did you hear anything around the attack? You, what, what, was, what could you hear? just in the area. I'll be honest, all I remember is the crack of thunder. You didn't hear a chuckle of any kind? After any kind? I'll be honest, it all happened so fast and it's, I can't, I, I don't, I, I, all, I, I was talking to somebody and then there was thunder and lightning, that's all mm -hmm. I know. Now, I'd like to uh, talk about this, strike them first and strike them hard. That's what you said about the mages, correct? Correct, when in combat with the mage, in, in combat with combatants that have a mage, the mage should always be the first target. And would you say that Nithis, your uh, uh, fellow commissioned officer here, uh, Lieutenant Commander Nithis. Uh, I'd like the point of correction, I'm an enlisted officer. I'm not commissioned. Uh, apologies. Uh, but Lieutenant Commander Nithis, she'd be familiar with this training, correct? I would assume so. I can't speak to Nithis's training, but if if she was trained at a military academy, then yes, she would be aware of that. So if she felt her life was in danger, she, she would have seconds, halves of seconds to react, correct? Uh, I believe that is the case in any situation where you're in combat. Yes. Every, you know, if you, at that point, life just goes by in six second increments and you just try to survive each one of those. And so those seconds are so long, aren't they? Right? Feel like, it feels like it takes hours to get through a minute of combat, it's true. <laughs> now, when you were claiming the attacks, you said that one happened quickly, Reagan, he was on the ground, yes? As I mentioned earlier, when I turned around, Reagan was on the ground, yes. Mm. And then you his said- His axe was in his hand. His axe was in his hand. And there was, there was some time between when he was on the ground and when the second attack occurred, correct? As I mentioned earlier, when I was turning around, uh, the lightning bolt was, I believe at that point in the process of striking. And you were turning around. So there was a gap, correct? I don't, I, I do not think the lightning bolts happened at the same time, if that's what you're asking. They didn't happen at the same time. And as you said, combat is quick. This is, these are your words. Every second, every half a second is, is, is a lifetime, correct? That is what I said. Now in that time, that second that you turned, 
Could another one of your team members have looked at the face of their commanding officer? Objection. This is speculation of the most rankest sort. <laughs> uh, Admiral with, Corrales says sustained. With respect, I, I, I withdraw. Thank you, Master Chief Johnson. You, you've done your country a service today. Nothing further. Uh, uh, Johnson stands up and and walks uh, back up towards the uh, prosecution side. Uh, he, he, though a little, you, you can tell that he's still feeling under a little nerves. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Well, um, Prosecutor Lucasio, did you have any more witnesses you'd like to call? The barrister has asked a number of questions about specifically what did Commander Ernest Draven do? What, what his face might have looked like, what he did in those last seconds. And unfortunately, the only one who can answer those questions would be the dead. And the dead, conveniently for Lieutenant Commander Eltman, do not speak. And then at this point, I rise to my full height and like turn around and address the holidays to go, except for when they do. I call Commander Ernest Draven to testify. Objection, your intercessors. I would ask you if the deceased has ever been asked in such a courtroom before. And I would also say that if a member of the non-living were in fact guilty, what would compel them to tell the truth? As you say that, the doors fly open and in walks Commander Ernest Draven alive. Yes! There is a, a, a gasp, I guess. And uh, he looks, as he walks towards the stairs and goes down the steps, he looks at you, Nithis, and gives you that exact same smile you I glare at him that day. <laughs> and he walks down the steps and sits in the chair confidently. Your intercessors, I call for a mistrial as the first crime involved in this trial the murder of a superior officer is obviously, has not been committed. It is central to the prosecution's case. And so I think this trial must be halted right this instant. Uh, but Barrister, you have already agreed to the facts of this case. And I can offer you the background that you need uh, to continue. Commander Irvis Draven was dead. At no small expense, his family, his poor family, his poor grieving family arranged for a resurrection method that has brought him back to the land of the living to testify here today. He was dead, he was murdered, and he is now ready to tell his story once restored. Brindley is very anxiously moving around in her seats. <laughs> um. Uh, the Grand Imperial Intercessor um, speaks up. It is true that resurrection magics have not worked for much of the past 780 years. Uh, 
However, it is not well known that as of two years ago, it started working again. As such, a person who was murdered and later resurrected is still murdered and the crime has still been committed. So the, the motion for a mistrial is denied and Commander Draven is allowed to testify. Objection, Your Honor, I would say he must prove that he is Commander Draven. How do we know he is not an imposter who is trying to take Commander Draven's place? Ah, but Barrister, again, you forget yourself. The detection spell upon that intercessor's throne requires him, compels him to tell the truth. I believe you are unraveling here and in public too. How embarrassing for you. <laughs> uh, I would remind the prosecutor that we're looking at a dead man right now. So any reaction I think would be the proper reaction. If uh, we are done with this nonsense, I may continue to conduct the law appropriately. Yes. Um, uh, Commander Draven, could you please state your name for the court? Yes, I am Commander Ernest Draven of the Windhaven Navy. I was murdered by Lieutenant Commander Nithis Eltman and was resurrected just last week by my family, nearly bankrupting them in the process. And Commander Draven, could you intentionally speak an untruth so that we can verify that the chair is working as, as intended, if it pleases the court. My name is Commander Big Pants. And then at that point, there is a loud, red, a loud bell that chimes throughout the, uh, throughout the, uh, the, uh, the halls, appeal, if you will. All right. Well, Prosecutor Locatio, you may proceed with your questioning. Thank you, Your Imperial Majesty. And to you, Commander Draven, thank you for your service and thank you for being here today. I'm going to ask you a few questions. And again, please take your time. I understand only being recently alive from last week and having to face your murderer can be upsetting. Yes, the, the side effects are in fact very unpleasant and would not wish them upon anybody. Well, let's begin then. Can you tell me what the orders were you gave that day in Bexley to Naval Team 7? The orders I gave to my, to my team that day were to disarm the village and to, uh, and to round up the people so that we could tell them about the Imperials' protection that they were soon to be under, should they choose to accept it. Were you aware of any lethal force or lethal injury leveraged against the citizens before the attacks that made uh, before the attacks upon you and the and the lieutenant uh, by uh, Lieutenant Commander Altman? Could you re repeat the question? I'm sorry. Certainly, certainly. Were you aware of any lethal force or lethal injury leveraged by your team upon the citizens before Lieutenant Eldman attacked? 
it is my recollection that Lieutenant Reagan was attacked by a towns member before uh, Lieutenant Commander Eltman attacked. Thank you. Uh, and under military protocol, what, uh, what would be um, Lieutenant Reagan's recourse in that situation? Any force necessary to secure himself. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Can you please describe Lieutenant Commander Eltman's skill with magic? Uh, we had heard from her previous commanding officer that uh, she was attuned to the weather somehow. Um, but we had no, uh, we, and we knew that there was some sort of latent magical ability. However, uh, her role in the naval team was not that of sorcerer. Before she attacked, did she uh, say anything, any words to you or Lieutenant Reagan, or was the first notice you had the pall of thunder? Without any sort of warning from Lieutenant Commander Eltman, she channeled lightning magic, killed Lieutenant Reagan. Uh, after that, I recall a blinding light and searing amount of pain, um, and I assume that's when she killed me. So just to be clear, you were never given an option to defend yourself or any explanation from the Lieutenant Commander about her actions. That is correct. No further questions. Thank you for your service. Mm -hmm. Commander Draven. So interesting that you've chosen just this very moment to grace us with your unexpected presence. Now, Commander Draven, I, I must say, you mentioned side effects to this resurrection spell. Could, could you please explain some of these side effects for the court, please? Uh, yes, um, I feel physically weak. I feel nauseous all the time. Uh, I have a harder time moving around. Um, uh, and then some unpleasant gastrointestinal issues that I will not rehash here in, in the court. Ah, I see. And I'm curious, do you experience any headaches of any kind? Uh, I've had a constant headache for the past week. A constant headache. Could you describe this for the court, please? I would say it's akin to uh, waking up with a hangover. A hangover, and have, you've had hangovers before in, in your uh, life, I assume. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a citizen of my age that hasn't. And as a military man, I, it's possible that maybe you've had a hangover and then the next day you had responsibilities and duties that you had to accomplish, correct? Of course. And these duties, were they a little more difficult because of your hangover. A naval man always always completes his duties. Yes, but I, I, I ask you- Objection, objection. The, the questioning of a recently deceased man regarding his health and furthermore questioning the sobriety of, uh, of a commander of the Navy um, is beyond the pale. You know, intercessors, I must say that with such a novel testimony as we have here and with Testimony from our witness who has claimed not only do they have physical effects, but mental effects as well. Mental effects, this is what a headache is. That it's akin to a, a hangover, a blinding hangover. Now I, I can say- um, 
Barrister Ron, he, he in no way described it as a blinding hangover, and he seems to have been perfectly capable of answering these questions. Uh, I'm gonna, that said, um, I'm going uh, to overrule this objection. Ask, the objection is overruled, but uh, Barrister Aaron, you are walking on thin ice here, so please get to the point. Of course. Uh, the point is, if you were mentally incapacitated in any way, would you yourself be able to tell this court that you are sitting on a throne which can detect lies? But as you said, there is some mental effect and this resurrection technology is so new, there is no way to know if someone who has recently been resurrected and testifies is able to do so with full, with full accountings of their faculties. And I would say that this, the precedents of this case will have precedents for cases far beyond this one. I, I assume resurrection technology will become very popular very soon. Was there a question in there? If, if so, I didn't, I didn't hear it. Prosecutor, did you, you hear a question in there? Because I, I definitely did not hear a question in there. The question is, if you were mentally incapacitated, would you be able to know? I believe that's a question for philosophers and not for me. All I can attest to is my own fitness for trial. And at this time, I do believe myself fit to testify in this trial. No bell, I'm telling the truth. Yes. Objection. It seems to me that the barrister is grasping here. Let her stick to the facts of the case. No, 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 no grasping, retire. no grasping. I will say the witness has said, I believe that I am telling the truth. So we will continue. Now, Commander Draven, did you see what happened to Reagan? Amanda has caps lock is permanently on at this point. Cast I'm just holding down the shift the entire time. I am mad at the size. <laughs> uh, the question was, uh, you guys tell me if he, he saw it happen, Lieutenant Reagan? Yes. Did you uh, see what happened? He says, um, he says, my memory of the moments before my death are not as sharp as I would like them to be, but I do distinctly remember Lieutenant Commander Nithis killing Lieutenant Reagan. So to, to make sure, you have some effects from your resurrection and you are unable to remember clear details from your event, but you, do re you can remember the events surrounding the exact moment when it's convenient for you to do so, correct? I'm giving you my honest, my honest, uh, I'm giving you uh, my honest answers to this, mm -hmm. to your questioning as the chair has indicated. Okay, so please tell me the moment before the attack. You could see Commander Reagan, correct? Lieutenant Reagan, yes. And- uh, Yes, Lieutenant Reagan. Yes, I saw him, I saw him killed by Lieutenant Commander Eltman. Do you see, and you said that he was attacked. Yes, you could see this attack. Yes, a woman, a, a woman attacked him. A woman attacked him. Now you're sure of this. 
I am 100% sure. And how old was this woman? I'd estimate between 30 and 40 years of age. 30 and 40 years of age. And describe this attack, as you call it. Uh, she grabbed him by the arm, uh, started hitting him with her bare fists. She grabbed him by the arm and started hitting him. And what did... And then, and then, and then right after that, Lieutenant Commander Eltman killed him. Lieutenant Commander Eltman, not Reagan. Ruben, that's the accused. The accused. <laughs> yeah. So you're saying, wait a second, no, Lieutenant Commander Eltman Nithis, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Nithis Eltman, sorry, yeah. Nithis didn't have a last name until this morning. <laughs> uh, okay. Yes, so Lieutenant Commander Nithis I was killed. wondering that, because I'm like, this is new. <laughs> and so Nithis killed the citizen, is what you're saying? No, I, I, I said that Lieutenant Commander Nithis Eltman killed Lieutenant uh, Macario Reagan, uh, after, yeah, he, after he was attacked by this woman. He was attacked by this woman. Well, how did Reagan react to being attacked by this woman? He seemed unconcerned by her. You said that he was attacked by a town's member and that he would put this attack down by any force necessary, correct? Could you, sorry, could you repeat that exact quote? Yes, so when you were speaking to my fellow prosecutor, you said that, or this is possible, my prosecutor has said this, uh, you were attacked by a townsperson and if they were attacked, they would defend themselves with any force necessary. Is that? That is correct. So describe this scene. Commander Reagan is being attacked by this woman, being hit. Correct but he seems unconcerned by it. That is, that is correct. I'm not sure what provoked Lieutenant Commander Eltman to attack him at that moment. Uh, she really escalated the situation. Now was Reagan moving while this attack was happening? I, while, while he was being attacked by the woman? While he was being attacked while... by the woman? No. He wasn't moving at all? He was standing in the same spot. How close were you to Lieutenant Reagan? Uh, sorry, I have to go back and read <laughs> this uh, account. Uh, I was approximately 15 feet away at that time. And while this was happening, what were any of the other civilians doing? Milling about the square. Uh, some of them were talking to other members of the advanced fire team. So this, so what would have provoked this woman to start attacking Lieutenant Reagan? I can't speak to that woman's motivations. So this woman runs up, begins striking Reagan, and he's not responding at all. He seemed fairly unconcerned about it. She wasn't armed. He seemed unconcerned. What does unconcerned mean? Was he looking down at her? He was barely looking at her at all. Wasn't looking at her at all. 
And then you say, that next moment, he is hit by lightning. Correct. Now, from testimony, we know there's a split second between when he is attacked and when you are attacked, correct? As far as I'm aware, yes, it happened. I, I cannot speak to the moment I died exactly, but the, I did witness the searing pain and the blinding light uh, maybe six seconds after Lieutenant Reagan was attacked. Yes, and right after Lieutenant Reagan is attacked, did you look anywhere? Did you, were your eyes only focused on him? I was looking at Reagan at the time of the attack, that's correct. Looking at Reagan and then suddenly you're hit by lightning. After Reagan is hit by lightning, yes, I, was, I would assume that I was hit by lightning. It's hard for me to say because, well, my brain ceased functioning at that moment. Mm. Now, I ask, if you witnessed an unlawful act committed by your superior or your colleagues, would you intervene? It would depend on the act. It would depend on the act. Please elaborate. Some laws are, gambling is technically illegal. I watch my soldiers do it all the time. So I allow them these little, these little, um, these little vices because it improves morale. Yes, but if someone say, killed a mule from a civilian. If you were ordered to kill a mule of a civilian by a superior officer, would you do so? I, this is a hypothetical question and I can't answer that question without further context and details. It's an unlawful act. And you were if, being- If that, is that mule strapped with, uh, strapped with magical explosives, then it's not an unlawful act. Ah, so Barrister Iran, I don't appreciate you attempting me to hang myself with my own words for these hypothetical situations that you're I don't think up. it's a hypothetical situation. I think this is exactly what happened on this day. And so it's there was no mules as far as I could recall on the day. Yes, but as you've said, you believe that your testimony is correct. So belief is very important in this case here. So that if Lieutenant Commander Nithis believed that civilians were being harmed. And she believed that you were complicit within this harm. Is it not lawful for her to protect these civilians if she believes this is the case? If, an off, if a commissioned officer of the Windhavian Navy becomes aware of a fellow officer committing a crime, the appropriate action is to talk to the commanding officer. If the commanding officer was complicit in that crime, the appropriate action is to talk to that commanding officer's superior officer. What if there is not enough time to do so? There is always enough time to do so. There's always enough time. A member of your team has just said that if Someone's life is in danger with a mage. Strike them first and strike them hard. There's no- Objection, your intercessors. This has been asked and answered. Uh, Admiral Corrales says sustained. Very well. No further questions to our 
very surprising commander. Your honors, your imperial majesty, the prosecution uh, rests and I invite the barrister to bring forth whatever defense she feels she has. Thank you, prosecutor Lucasio. <laughs> uh, Commander Draven stands up, walks back over, looks over in your direction, Nithis, and winks, and then heads back over and uh, shakes hands with Pro prosecutor Lucasio and then leaves. Well, the uh, court will take a five-minute recess for people to tend to their biological needs, and we will be back in five minutes' time with the defense as witnesses. So, you had five minutes to scream at each other. Yeah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, court is back in order. Say the word, and I'll throw <laughs> something. The court is back in order. Uh, we now begin with the accused defense. Uh, Barrister Iran, your first witness, please. Yes, I call Lieutenant Commander Nithis to the stand. I get up and I walk up to the chair. I pat her on the shoulder before she heads up. I can't do this. <laughs> Friendly's so adorable. <laughs> All right. Uh, Barrister Iran, you get the questions first. Lieutenant Commander Nithis. <clears throat> You're muted again. Oh, you muted yourself. <laughs> the reason why we are all here today. Now, could you please, in your own words, describe what happened on the 17th? We were um, tasked with going into Bexley in order to remove any weapons and to ensure that there weren't any, um, any, there wouldn't be any problems with the army coming in to occupy. Um, we got there and we were, I think, successful in collecting all the weapons. Um, we did thorough searches of all the houses um, we had all of the civilians in the town square so that there wasn't anyone hiding away. And we were, I thought, wrapping up. Um, we had all the weapons. I was honestly just standing there waiting because there, I didn't have any direct orders at the time. And I was looking towards Reagan and Draven. Um, there were civilians right in front of them so I was just scanning the area trying to be aware and uh, Reagan moved abruptly and grabbed the girl and I have honestly never been so horrified in my life he used his axe to slit her throat she was a girl she wasn't an adult she wasn't attacking him he grabbed her and there was a smile on his face as he did it. And I looked to Commander Draven because I was horrified and I was ready to do something about it because he just murdered someone with no, no reason to do so whatsoever. 
And when I looked at Draven, he was smiling as well. And was he looking at you? He did make eye contact with me. Did make eye contact with you. And I, I will have the court notice that she is sitting on a throne, which does not broke those to tell lies. Oh, and I'm gonna quickly pause this for just a second. Nithis, in your head, you hear a voice. Kalishdar. Oh no. The magics no. that bind you to the truth are so weak and so easily dodged. Would you like me to remove them from you? No. No, in my head, no. I'm here if you change your mind. Oh my God, this is terrifying. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Uh, right. Calamity says you should have said yes. <laughs> All right, <laughs> my and then back to back to the trial. <laughs> oh are, you, are you all right, uh, uh, Lieutenant Commander? At this, you you seem flushed. I am. I've done my best to forget about it. I I ran away because I was horrified by everything that happened. And this is the most thoroughly I've thought about it since it happened. Understandable, understandable. So if you allow me, I, I will go back into that moment when after you witnessed the death of this civilian <laughs> sitting with on a throne that will not allow you to lie, which you witnessed, then you made eye contact with your commander. And in that moment, what was his expression? He smiled. It was, it, it felt malicious. It, it made me sick. They both were enjoying it. They both were happy or seemed to be that it had happened. I, I don't know how, I don't know why. And looking at Draven, I expected to be able to do something. Mm -hmm. But Anna, continue, please. I, at that point, I, I lost control. I didn't, I didn't mean to murder anyone, but they just enjoyed killing someone. Uh, now, I, I will say your team is very well trained, correct? Yes, that's the reason I was on this team is because I was being considered for the advanced naval teams and I had hoped to command my own within a few years. Mm. And so seconds matter, half seconds matter with this team. They, 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 they really, the, the matter of life and death, correct? Always, yes. And so when you witness a member of this team killing unarmed civilians, were you afraid that other civilians might be harmed? Yes. And we weren't there to kill anyone. We were there to provide order. That's what the Windhavian 
Navy and Army do. We go in and this particular team was advanced to make sure that there was a peaceful takeover, to make sure that there wasn't extensive blood bloodshed because you do lose your own soldiers when even when you go up against untrained people you still have the chance of your own people being harmed and that is something that I always appreciated about the Navy that while we were fighting for the Empire we were still considered people we were still considered worth being alive. I, I never felt as if I was just fodder to be thrown at a quest. And uh, I'm getting off track. I, you know, understandable, very, 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 very understandable. Uh, I will say when you saw, how quickly did this attack happen? It Reagan, was, with Reagan, with Reagan and the child, was it, how long did it take for, for this 6'3 member of the Navy to grab this girl and slit her throat? How much time? No time. It, it was, no time? I mean, it was as quick as he could move. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't like running to grab her. She was very near him. He reached out a hand and pulled her against him and slit her throat. And in the moment that you looked to your commander, you saw, you locked eyes with him, you saw that smile. Yes. Right after that, did you fear that Lieutenant Reagan would grab another civilian and do the exact same thing? Yes. Thank you. Now, when Lieutenant Reagan attacked this girl, did you notice another woman coming close to Reagan? No, I, I saw what he did. I saw the expression on his face and I immediately looked to Draven because he was my commander. He, he should have been giving an order to make it stop, but so he, he wasn't. You looked to Reagan, <clears throat> second. You weren't, you didn't have eyes. You looked to Reagan, looked to your commander. So for a split second, your eyes were off of Reagan, correct? Yes. And so we've just heard testimony that says a woman came up and started striking Lieutenant Reagan, but you claim that this didn't occur. Now- I don't know if it occurred or not. Could it have happened when you looked in that mm -hmm. it could have happened. Yeah. yeah. Now, did you notice when you, in this next second, do you remember the attack on Lieutenant Reagan or your commander at all, or was it a blur? The attack that killed them? Yes. I, it's blurry. I, I felt the storm becoming myself it's, it's a strange feeling to have such a connection to such an elemental thing and I'd never experienced it before in my life I've always had a connection to the weather I've 
it was it was a boon when I was on a, a ship at sea because it was always smooth sailing when I was there. Um, but I was horrified. I was shocked and I could feel the electricity going through my body. And I felt the lightning happen, but I was consumed by the lightning. Were you looking at Reagan the moment you released this lightning? I was certainly looking in their direction. I, I don't remember making eye contact or anything like that, but I could see both Draven and Reagan in my field of view. And you would have seen anyone else around them? No, I was very, it, it, was, it was much like tunnel vision. I, tunnel vision. So there yeah. could have been someone around them that you couldn't witness. All you were focused on was on them. Yes, and I was extremely distressed. Now, I will ask, the moment that Lieutenant Reagan slit this, this person's throat, was there blood on Lieutenant Reagan? I'm sorry, what, was there blood? Was there blood on him after he killed a civilian? There was blood on his weapon, but she was facing away from him. I couldn't see his hand because it was his dominant hand facing away from me, but I don't think there could have been a lot on him because she was facing towards the crowd. Mm. <clears throat> this weapon, interesting. Now, after the lightning occurred, after you attacked Reagan, after you attacked your commander, we have three members, comrades in arms. Could you describe the moments immediately following these two attacks? It had happened and as has already been expressed in the court, the manner of taking care of mages is to kill them immediately. Um, I was very, very aware of what was about to happen to me. I was still consumed by the magic. Um, I, I certainly didn't wish to murder anyone, but I knew that they were going to kill me as quickly as they could. And this is, this is all to your training, that if you are attacked, you must defend yourself automatically, unquestioningly. That is the role of a member of the Navy. Yes. And I knew that they were going to kill me. But there was another member of your team who was present, correct? Yes. Johnson. And can you describe what happened in the moments following striking your fellow Navy? members? I, I had moved back a little bit. Um, I could see all of them. And I, I watched Johnson throw down his weapon. He backed away. And so you had a moment to kill him. Yes, but he wasn't going to kill me. So there was no need to do anything to him. And that's why 
You didn't attack him in any way. Yeah, he didn't. He wasn't going to attack me, so I wasn't going to hurt him at all. There was no reason to. Did you say anything to the, this member of your team? Yes. What did you say? <clears throat> I told him to tell Marston exactly what happened here and to make sure that no more civilians were killed. You're positive, you said, to make sure no more civilians were killed. Sidebar, I did say that, right? Yes. Okay, yes, yes, that is what I said. Interesting. I believe this element of the testimony may have been overlooked by your comrade, but it was a moment of great fear, of great terror. I can understand if certain elements were missed, but you said this to him as you are sitting on the throne of truth. Yes, I did say that to him. Now, after this had happened, why didn't you go back to your superiors? Why didn't you go back to your the, the superior above Commander Dragon. There were quite a lot of reasons, two main reasons. I, there was no surprise on Draven's face when I looked at him. It, it seemed like a regular day for him. It, definitely beyond just being unsettled it occurred to me that this wasn't unusual that this was something they did all the time I was also pretty horrified by what I'd done and I panicked I am an officer in the Windhavian Navy I've done my best to never disobey orders I think I've been had been very successful in that and I was horrified and did you and feel oh go ahead I just I wasn't sure that I felt pretty certain that going back was not going to result in them being condemned so you felt that your superiors wouldn't believe you. Yes. Thank you, Lieutenant Commander Nithis. No further questions. Okay. Uh, Prosecutor Locatio, your witness. Thank you, your Imperial Majesty. Lieutenant Commander, Surely you understand the situation you are in. And your family is here now with us as well. You see them? I wish to spare them from the pain that is the inevitable outcome of prolonging the trial. I think it is clear to see how this is going. Thus, before we continue further, I have within my power to offer you the state's final leniency. Confess now to these crimes, and you need not end your day in a Kasarian quarry. The conditions there for penal laborers are regrettably brutal. There you will serve the empire in a much different capacity than you are familiar. Every day throughout the long seasons, you will work. 
until time itself loses all meaning and your existence is narrowed to just one relationship, that between your arms and the hammer you will swing until the moment you die. But you can be saved from this fate. You will be punished, of course, but a permanent house arrest in an appointed villa will agree with you much better, I think. Whatever pride is now causing your defiance, let it go. If not for your sake, then for your family's. Let them know that you will be comfortable. The choice, however, is yours. I... Eli's going off book and I love it. I was raised to tell the truth. I wish to be in the Navy from a very young age. I wish to serve the Winhavian Empire. And I'm not going to lie and say what I did was wrong. Very well, then I will be quick. Have you ever lost control of your magic before? No. So the attacks were deliberate. I had never had any magic before then. I, I had no experience whatsoever. If you're talking about between then and now, I haven't since lost control of it. Um, um. There was a nightmare that I had several weeks ago that was resulted in a similar lightning storm, although no one was hurt. So to be clear, in a moment of extreme duress and confusion, you murdered five people. You're on mute. <laughs> My lawyer's on mute. <laughs> Sorry. Objection, Your Honor. She has said that she del- this was a deliberate action that she took. She said she wasn't, she intended to protect those civilians. So this isn't a case of her losing control. She has, of her own admission, said she used her power because she intended to use it. I appreciate you making my case for me, but very well, I withdraw that line of questioning. Command, Lieutenant Commander Nithis, uh, you had the rank of Lieutenant Commander and uh, Macario Reagan had the rank of Lieutenant. Uh, by my understanding of Naval Protocol, you outranked him, is that correct? It is, yes. Therefore, you would have the option to order him to cease or face other censure uh, before doing any other acts towards these civilians, is that correct? I didn't feel so. I, I was of greater rank than him, but I was there to, ex- to experience the advanced naval teams. I, essentially, I was a trainee. I technically had a greater rank than him, but he had more experience, much more experience than I did on this team. Had he given me orders, I would have followed them because he was driven second in command and had been with him for quite a while. So just to be clear, technically you did outrank him. Technically. Excellent. Um, Had you followed any formal naval protocols? Did you lodge a formal complaint? No, I ran away. Uh, Excellent. Uh, So... By your own admission, you've thrown aside naval protocol, which we are observing here in this court-martial, and instead attacked uh, him. Uh, Let's move on to Commander Draven. 
you said you had a funny feeling and you attacked him as well. Is that correct? I could clearly tell that he was not unhappy and was not going to stop what had happened. But you had no inclination that he was going to demand further bloodshed. Is that correct? I definitely was worried that there would be further bloodshed. Had you seen Commander Draven specifically attacking civilians? No. Had Privates Danae Tavitz, Dimitri Brandley, Anna Cosmos attacked any civilians? No, but they were going to kill me. Before you killed them, had you given them notice why you'd killed the other officers? No. If you were going to flee anyway, why did you not flee from the privates instead of turning to engage? Why specifically did you remain at the murder scene to claim more victims from the Winhavian Navy? You're Ruben, you're <laughs> muted. You're on mute again. <laughs> uh, uh, objection, Your Honor. He's obviously trying to shade the emotions of our intercessors here. A, a, a simple question, if it pleases this court. Ah, uh, but uh, Minister, Minister Byrne says, sustained, uh, please please stick to the facts and not making emotional appeals to the intercessors. Very well. Um, why did you flee specifically to Carthelia? I had no destination in mind. Can you describe the political relationship between Carthelia and the Windhavian Empire? Obviously, the Windhavian Empire is preparing military action. So Carthelia would then be potentially an enemy state? Yes. How long did you remain in Carthelia? I arrived there perhaps two months ago. Objections, Your Honor. Why is where the accused fled to, how does that bear witness on the specific events of this case? We are interested in whether or not she is culpable for the murder of her fellow members on this team. How does where she went to, how is that fair relevance? Because what we are debating here is not that the murders occurred. We all know that five officers and uh, soldiers of the Navy were killed. What we are arguing is what was in her head at the time and how she attempted to evade uh, the Winhavia and judgment for it. That is the defining point upon which this entire uh, trial sits. Was what she did lawful and proper or did she engage in a knowingly reckless uh, dangerous act. Did she kill five people in the heat of the moment? And then in order to escape judgment for her crimes, hide and harbor herself in an enemy state for multiple months rather than turning herself in. Admiral, Corrales, Admiral Corrales speaks up and says, uh, if Prosecutor Lucasio, if you intend to prove that Lieutenant Commander Eltman is uh, in league with an enemy state, uh, that will be a matter for a separate trial. We would ask that you keep the questioning germane to the events at hand. Very well. Uh, I have no further questions. All right. Thank you, Lieutenant Commander Eltman. You may step down. I walk back to the table. All right, um, uh, Barrister Iran, do you have any further witnesses? 
Yes, we have with us today compatriots of Lieutenant Commander Nithis who are character witnesses. I would like to bring one Brinley Horthy to Corther. the- Horther. <laughs> okay, Brinley gets up. I imagine in the days beforehand, uh, Chris, that she went out and she went shopping to get something that looks very nice to mm -hmm. be in court, um, like a, a white uh, silk dress with a Peter Pan collar and a cardigan. That's like a nice mauve <laughs> brooch. She got her hair curled. And so she heads up to the stand to take it. And I'll remind you that the chair will detect any lies you say. And once again, though you are not a citizen of the empire while testifying here, you will be expected to act in accordance with the empire's customs and laws. Barrister Iran, you may be. I'm aware. Thank you, Your Imperial Majesty. She knows. Yes. Now, adventuring with uh, our Lieutenant Commander this year. It's been five weeks, Chris? Yes. Uh, about five weeks. Hmm. And in those five weeks, could you describe the type of person that Lieutenant Commander Nithis is? Well, so Nithis is very empathetic, uh, very intuitive as to what other people are thinking and what's might be like bothering them or any sort of issues like that. She's very friendly, not very friendly, but she's as friendly as she needs to be. Um, I think that she makes very, uh, she's very circumspective whenever something comes up and we're like, oh, should we do this or should we do that? Mythos. Uh, always thinks about different outcomes that are going to be coming out of it. Um, so which I think is really just weighing the odds, not weighing the odds, but weighing the pros and the cons and what it means for people in general is very great testament to, you know, her family's position and really just your country's honor in general. Yes, yes. The, 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 thank you so much. The, the honor of Octavia is in the question here. But I will ask, um, is she the, the type of person who would protect the innocent? Yeah, actually she is. So, okay, so, so, so. She mentioned earlier about that dream that she had when she was on the stand, but she didn't mention uh, afterwards. She was so upset because she was worried that somebody might get hurt. She always tells us that I can't do anything dumb or do anything that really gets us into trouble. Um, she's very good. She's very nice. Uh, so, so wonderful. It's, it's, it's so great that, that, that you, you, you are such good friends. I, I will ask, I, I believe you were with uh, Lieutenant Commander Nithis uh, when you were in East Hill, East Hill together, correct? Yeah, that's actually uh, where I'm from. Yes. Now, could you describe uh, what happened in East Hill with you and your companions here? Yes. Uh, so we went to East Hill because we were going just generally east and we arrived there around the same time as my birthday, which is today. 
And uh, we hit out my parents. But while we were walking around the town, just, you know, minding our own business, um, these two Kathleen's I know, uh, Cass and Tristan Girl Thief, um, they came up to us because they recognized me from when we were younger. I was in, I went to school uh, with their son, Eris. Mm-hmm. And they told us that Eris had been missing for a while. Uh, I think it was two days, right, Chris? Two days? Uh, yeah, two or three. For two or three days. Um, he had went to, he's an artist. He went to draw some flowers that only bloom a couple days out of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they asked us if we could, because they know that, you know, we've been around and we're doing this adventuring thing. Uh, they asked us if we could maybe go and look for him or see what was on. They were really worried that he had something that happened and he is deceased or otherwise detained in some sort of situation. Um, so of course we agreed because that's what we do. We're heroes. Uh, and so we went where this uh, spot where the flowers bloom, which is weirdly where like everyone makes out, but it had nothing to do with this at all. It was just weird. Um, and so we we're looking around and we didn't find anything there, but then with some further investigation, we went further into the woods. And at that point, uh, we were attacked by two giant spiders. And unfortunately, it was Nithis right there in the middle. And also Gwen, but Gwen. Gwen. Anyway, so the spiders come down and they attack. I'm far enough away that I'm okay. Uh, 88's doing cool too. Gwen is his thing. Nithis is right there with the biggest spider. And she is trying to kick its ass. Oh, sorry. Can I say, can I say ass in the court? Oh, yes. It is completely in this. Okay. Okay. She's trying to kick his ass. Um, but the spider is able to temporarily, temporarily overpower her and wraps her up and starts carrying her up into the canopy of the trees. And she's in great danger at this point. I thought she was going to die. I was very upset. There was a little bit of tears in my eyes. Um, it it wasn't cool. It was very stressful. And so, and she was attacking the spider to save the, these people, correct? Yeah, and um, I want to say that we just agreed to do it. There wasn't any sort of interchange going on. It was out of the goodness of our hearts. So, in order to protect the innocent, she put her own life at risk. Not only did she do that, but she was in the tree with this creature about to freaking kill. Oh, can I say freaking in the court? Yes, yes. About to kill her. And she was able to gather her strength. A member of the deceased has recently given testimony. So lots of things are admissible in this court. Okay, okay. She did kill it, right? Or she's able to escape. Oh, she did kill it. Yeah, she was able to do the killing blow on this this huge spider. It was like, how, how big did you say it was, Chris? Uh, it was the size of a horse. It was like horse size, which is a lot bigger than like Nithis size. And so in reacting to save innocent lives, her reaction was instantaneous. Yeah, and it always is. 
It always is. So in, in a similar situation, you would agree that she would react in an instant to save those lives. Yes. Mythos knows what's for the greater good and what's not. And she always tries to act for the greater good. Hmm. Thank you. No further questions, John. Thank you. Oh, and she does have all these character stories. They do have sworn statements that were, uh, they call it sworn by blood. So they are essentially magically unable to be altered um, and are admissible. Uh, yes, I'd like to enter into the intercessors. I'd also, in accompanying this testimony, I'd like to enter into uh, evidence, a testimony from this family in East Hill that claims that they were indeed saved by these spiders. By the fantasy bailiff comes over and takes it. You should show the drawing. No, I'm saying it to the, to the bailiff. <laughs> what? He says, I'm sorry, what? There's a drawing. I think Ruben doesn't know really about the drawing. Uh, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> oh, it's a draw. So the kid that got saved by Nithis drew for me a uh, sketch of her surrounded by sunlight saving him from the. Uh, <laughs> The bailiff, the, situation. the bailiff just kind of looks at it and says, I, I don't know if this is admissible or not, but I'll... Um, it's sworn by blood. I'll, I'll, I'll deliver it to the intercessors. That's my job. Okay. He takes the papers and hands back and hands them off to the intercessors. All right, thank you. Um, Prosecutor Locatio, did you want to cross-examine this character witness? Uh, certainly, thank you. Um, uh, hello, uh, I'm just going to start with a little bit of background. Um, I'll try to be brief and I hope your answers will be as well. Uh, and could you reiterate again your capacity in, in which you know the accused? Um, we are adventuring companions. We have been for over a month. Mm -hmm. uh, however, the Lieutenant Commander Eltman had mentioned that the events in question occurred two months ago. Uh, is that correct? The, uh, the killings of the other um, service members? Oh, that was a year ago. Oh, it was a year ago. Okay, thank you. Um, then, uh, okay. So, uh, this being the case, uh, so the so she knew you after she committed the crime. This being the case, uh, your intercessors, I would like to uh, enter a motion to strike all testimony from these character witnesses because their knowledge of the accused is post fact and therefore irrelevant to the matter at hand. Uh, Lieutenant, no you're objection, your honor. I will say the witness in this case was actually a deceased who has gone beyond the pale, beyond the veil of death, and come back. And if that is admissible, then the testimony of her companions is also admissible. Minister uh, uh, Barn uh, puts up their hand and says, uh, while uh, we do appreciate uh, your concerns, Prosecutor Locatio, there is a a long, uh, a long tradition of character witnesses being allowed at these sort of a trials. Uh, the character of the accused uh, is very much relevant to the matter of facts for this case. So your objection is overruled. Uh, and Barrister Iran, um, we are aware that having a resurrected witness is unusual, but please stop trying to leverage it in this court proceeding. Thank you. Soon, Barrister Aaron, you will have to make peace with the Necropolitans that will walk amongst us. And I am truly aggrieved that you fail to show tolerance for them. However, I will continue. 
Uh, Brindley, uh, Corther, um, can you explain uh, how you and your group make a living, please? Uh, yeah, so we go from town to town. Well, we've been to one, two, three towns so far uh, because we like to be thorough. Um, and we take cases, if you will, or situations where people need help, and we give them help. And sometimes they compensate us, but really that's not the important part. The important part is doing good in the world. You uh, mentioned that you take cases to help other people. Can you briefly describe the specific activities you have had to accomplish while performing your, I believe you said, heroics? From the beginning or? Just a short summary of, of what you're doing. Is this investigation? Is this... Uh, Speaking with witnesses, is this social work, or is it is it violence? Are you, are you killing uh, people? We're not no, killing people. In your honor, what, this planting the idea of killing people in the minds of the intercessors. It's it's. Morales says overruled. Thank you. you. I believe I believe it is of paramount importance because if we can prove, well, you'll see. Um, very well, but but you admit that you have made wreck. So again, I, I reiterate, in the course of your activities, have you had to kill other um, sentient beings? What's the def out of character? What's the definition? Would like the giant be a sentient? Yes. Anything with giant, an intelligence right? score above three. Okay. Well, we obviously helped a lot of people. Um, a couple of times, <laughs> we were forced. <laughs> We were forced to use more uh, martial ways of reasoning with individuals than we would have liked. Uh, one time we were with this caravan and we found some, I might be, I might be remembering this wrong. We found some bodies. Um, we tracked the issue into the woods and we ended up having to slay a hill giant and in the process free to slaves. Um, just to be, I, I just, I, I just no, want to I'm, make, I'm just want letting to be you know all the murder because there's not any murder. There is just some situations which were not able to be resolved peacefully. Like the demon that lived in the doll. Um, when that broke out, we had to put it down, obviously for the safety of all the city. And you've been rewarded with uh, monetary recompense. Not for, for that, no. But, but and not have... for the hill giant either. But you have, in certain occasions, been paid for these activities that sometimes, as you said, involve what was it? More, more martial negotiations. I believe all the ones that we did that involved more martial negotiations were never something where we responded to an advertisement, which predetermined a paid reward for what was happening. Um, and then Matt, what? What Matt? What Matt? What? The first one we did was a bounty where we killed some bandits in the woods. Oh, yeah, sorry. sorry. Bong, uh, bong. <laughs> but she doesn't remember that, though. But I didn't remember that. Remember it's not a lie. Got it. <laughs> 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 to be fair, I think, I, if I remember correctly, I believe the bounty was asking for a person to be rescued, not necessarily for people to be killed. Yes, that was a Which sign. Which could have been done through negotiation. Of, it's that uh, they attacked us first. Uh, are you a member of a formal military? Uh, no, I am not. Okay. So, 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm going to move on. Um, <laughs> uh, did, during your travels, did Lieutenant, Com Lieutenant Commander Nithis ever explain her past and that she had uh, killed five people of her military unit? <laughs> she hit that so hard. <laughs> uh, no, but I couldn't say that it was something that we were talking about at that point. Did she ever indicate a stuff like that? Did she ever indicate a desire to turn herself in for any kind of crimes uh, in Windhaven? She always seemed a little sad. Sorry, you said she always seemed a little sad? Yeah, like there was something that might have been haunting her. Very well, no further questions. Thank you for that testimony, uh, Ms. Corther. Just deflection by being adorable. That's all it is. <laughs> um, Barrister Ron, did you have any further witnesses you wish to call to the stand? Yes, I call uh, Gwen Archer, another companion of Lieutenant Commander Nithis, to the stand. So I, I get up and, and go and, and sit in the stand. Teeny little kobold. <laughs> your, legs are, your legs are dangling over the edge. <laughs> Mr. Gwen, Gwen, yes, yes. Um, I believe you've been adventuring as long as your companion Brinley here, correct? With Commander Davis? Yes, we all, we all met uh, pretty much on the same day. Mm. Uh, were you together uh, in the area of New Haven? Yes, that's where we met. Yes, and in New, in New Haven, uh, were there any problems that, that you had to resolve that your uh, group was asked to resolve? Oh, plenty. Uh, we were, initially we, uh, we went and, and uh, rescued a, a caravan owner uh, out, out in the woods. Um, it, during that, uh, our, our friend uh, Brad, who was also adventuring with us um, at the time uh, was was injured and, and carried off by uh, uh, some kind of beast. Yeah, uh, sword bounder. Yeah, I couldn't remember the name of it. Um, <clears throat> that was a Sean problem, and um, and we we eventually uh, you know we, we eventually rescued him and uh, and brought him back to the to the town and um, a little the worse for wear. Um, mm. And he was in a coma, and then he, he came out of it, thankfully. Um, and also in, you know, shortly after that, we, we also captured, uh, I think primarily due to Mythos' good work, we, we uh, captured a, a prowler that was uh, in the, a, a pretty powerful illusionist uh, that had taken over a, a, a building in the, in the rich district and, and was busy fleecing everyone up there. And you have sworn testimonies from these individuals as well that, that we can enter into the court, correct? I, I do, character witnesses from the, 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 um, the constable of New Haven um, and, and uh, from the, the, the bursar of the, of the academy who um, I, think, I believe Brad was, uh, was one of his longtime students and an orphan taken in by, by him. So. Um, yes. uh, the defense would like to enter these as evidence. Uh, Fantasy bailiff comes up and 
uh, takes some and he looks at you, Brittany, and he says, are there any more pictures in this batch? Okay, then. And he walks back down with them. Now, now Gwen, for, could you describe uh, Nithis's role in rescuing this caravan operator? Um, well, I think, and, and let me ask player knowledge. I think it was her plan, right? When yes. we were surrounded. Okay. Um, well, it was, it was her plan. Uh, you know, she were, we were all fairly new and, and she was certainly seemed the most um, experienced of us. So, so it was her plan that allowed us to, to rescue the caravan owner, sneak in and get him and, and uh, you know, and, and bring him home safely. And what, what do you, what were her reasons for doing so? Um, well, I, we, I think we just wanted to make sure that we got the caravan, caravan owner back to his sister. Mm. And when Brad was, was injured, uh, how did Lieutenant Commander Nithis react? I don't remember. <laughs> this, I mean, it was, um, it was 20, like 22 weeks ago, 22 yeah. weeks ago. <laughs> well, would you say, were it not for the actions of Lieutenant Commander Nithis, Brad would not be here with us today? Oh, certainly. Yeah, we, I, I think we all just pretty much instantly said we, we're going we're gonna to have to rescue him because otherwise he'd get eaten by this strange beast. So that would be bad. Mm. And uh, Gwen, have you ever served armed forces? No. Hmm. Um, if you were asked to commit an unlawful act by your commanding officer, would you carry out this action? I, I mean, the only equivalent I could think of is if my, my mother, a clan chief, asked me to do something, but I don't know if they wouldn't ask me to do anything like Yes, but if they did uh, an atrocity, a, a horrible action of some kind, would you go through with it? Well, no, I, I think anything, I wouldn't do anything that that, uh, that Chalik would disapprove of. And from what you know of Lieutenant Commander to this, if she were put in a similar situation, do you think she would commit that act? Oh, absolutely not. And she would, very angrily punched the person in the face that tried to tell her to do it. So, and I kind of look up a little bit just to kind of draw notice to the fact that there's no gong. When I said that. And so, if put in a situation, <laughs> and if put into a situation, Lieutenant Commander Nithis would attempt to protect the innocent, correct? Yes, and she had. And she would give up her own life to do so, correct? She very nearly has, yes. And she would prevent anyone from trying to kill unarmed civilians, innocent civilians, correct? I believe so, yes. No further questions, John. Thank you. Um, Prosecutor Locascio, it's your witness. You mentioned that uh, Lieutenant Commander Nithis would um, act very angrily if uh, Forced to go against her, uh, her her own perceived ideals. Um, do you believe direct violence against lawful authority is appropriate rather than following a duty to withdraw? Well, 
I, I believe you mischaracterized what I, my reply. I, I said, my reply was to the question of if asked to do something illegal uh, that would hurt others, I believe she would react angrily to that. And, and I have seen her react angrily to that. So you're saying that at times she has acted hot-tempered? No, I'm saying that, in, that when asked or, or faced with some sort of injustice, you know, she does, she does react. I mean, she's a surly person, uh, but I think she has a good heart. You mentioned a force to, uh, when confronted with injustice. However, I think we both know uh, you seem to be a, a paladin. Uh, I, I have her in my notes. You're a paladin, a kobold of the cloth. But I think we both know that uh, justice here is defined by law. So I ask you again, in the course of talking about lawful authority, if given an injustice, is it lawful to break chain of command and recklessly assume direct violence rather than taking appropriate legal recourse? You're muted. You're muted, Ruben. Oh. Ruben, you're still <laughs> muted. <laughs> yeah. Objection, Your Honor. I, I take issue, issue with this uh, characterization of recklessly. Very well withdrawn. Um, can, can, I, can I answer a part of that question? I, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't agree with your characterization of justice as a blind obedience to authority. Authority is, authority should be drawn from within that, you know, you know if your actions are good or if your actions are not. And, and, and someone telling you to do something is, is not, uh, you don't do it just because you're told to do something. You do it because it's right. GM, GM, uh, I don't know if you're using uh, alignment, <laughs> but what is the alignment of Windhaven? Because I'm reading it's like lawful neutral to lawful evil. Is that incorrect? That, that's correct, yeah. Okay, just checking. Probably probably closer to the lawful evil side than lawful neutral. Okay. Definitely in that gray area. I try not to, I've kind of re removed alignment a lot from my game. Yeah. It's kind of simplistic, but in that in that quadrant for sure. Uh, very well. <laughs> Uh, Gwen, in what nation do you claim citizenship? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm... Uh, objection. Intercessors, how does the nation status of Gwen have any bearing on this case? If this paladin is going to lecture us on the nature of laws and what is just and unjust, I think it is important to learn about their background and where, in fact, they were raised to understand and have their understanding of the law. Minister, Intercessors, Minister. we've shown that belief is very important in this case. If the paladin believes what he is saying, who are we as an empire to argue with his testimony? It is our duty to argue with it as an empire. Minister, Minister Barn uh, says, um, uh, or Baron says, uh, um, I'll allow the question, but please get to the point. Okay, what was the question? <laughs> Where, what country are you from? Uh, I'm from uh, Dragonfall. I nod sagely, but as a person <laughs> outside the game, I don't know what that means. Yeah, actually, um, it's not a country you've heard of. Actually, yeah. of it's a it's a cobalt nation inside a cobalt nation enclave inside of a, the nation of Nishima, but you don't know that. Yeah. So. Uh, oh, interesting. Uh, Gwen, in the uh, course of your extra legal heroics, have you ever slain any humanoids? You or any member of your group? Well, I, 
again, I, you know, extra legal is by your definition, but uh, I think, I mean, only, well, we killed the giant, right? Mm-hmm. Anybody, was there anything we else? We killed some bandits. Uh, we killed the giant. And we Nobody killed... remembers the bandits, I'm saying. Yeah. Yes, right? It was and five weeks ago for them. The it's it was two, actually two different groups of bandits. That's very this true. There I were didn't two have 88 on the stand. Yeah. <laughs> they were Dwight and his muscles. Oh, so, so, and then the unnamed. So, so what does he, what does he say? And does the chair? Now, what would he say in this case if he doesn't remember? Yeah. What would he well, say? No, I mean, here's what I'm saying. Well, the, Gwen would remember the bandits because it's only been five weeks for Gwen. Okay. It's been 22 weeks for the players, so they're a little fuzzier. Got it. Also, I have a pretty shit memory as it is. So, um, no, yeah. So there was, there was the giant and and uh, and some bandits. That were you ever, we are ever given money for these acts. I don't, I don't believe we were. We were, we were given money for. Oh wait, no, no. I mean, we weren't given directly money to kill any. We. During your travels, did Lieutenant Commander Nithis ever explain that she was a murderer? <laughs> Objection, Your Honor. Characterizing Lieutenant Commander Nithis as a murderer is unfair in this line of questioning. Mr. 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 Burns says, Prosecutor, please rephrase the question. Uh, very well. During her travels, did Lieutenant Commander Nithis ever mention that she uh, slew five members of her military unit? No. Uh... Well, no. she did very recently, though. Oh, when, well, when you yeah. arrived here, before, yeah. before, right. before you, you before were after she was captured. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say that counts as not part of your journeys. So, uh, no, no further questions. Thank you, Mr. Archer. You may step down. Any further witnesses from the defense? None, Your Honor. Uh, your your intercessors, your uh, your imperial Majesty, your imperial Majesty. Uh, we have no further witnesses. All right. Uh, do either of you need a break before closing arguments? Maybe like a small break. Yeah. So you want to take five minutes? Yeah. Okay. Another bathroom break. Sounds mm-hmm. good. <laughs> no, really right. not. all right we are all back and settled the court is back in session Uh, it is now time for the closing arguments and since the burden of proof is on the empire prosecutor lucatio you will have the first argument good day your honors and your imperial majesty you have heard much this afternoon but you have never heard that any orders were given to attack civilians. If Lieutenant Commanders Nithis murders, or slains, if you prefer, Barrister, were meant to defend a child from Lieutenant Reagan, then why strike down Commander Draven? Killing him was not self-defense. Instead, Lieutenant Commander Nithis was just running up the score. Once the senior command staff was incapacitated, three soldiers were left to defend themselves against this act of madness and were summarily executed. The same trial we hold now to determine guilt was denied these loyal servants of the empire. So let me now enumerate why we know Lieutenant Commander Nithis is guilty. We have heard how she perceived her own actions and that she perceived 
that Commander Draven represented an immediate threat. But he was never given leave to justify himself and was instead executed only on the basis of a look that made Lieutenant Commander Eltman feel off. We are left with witnesses who will try to attest to her good character, but character or no, she did kill five people who were part of her unit. A military unit represents a bond of trust, horrifically violated. Who's to say she won't turn on these new friends? And to her new friends, I am sorry you had to watch what transpired here today and to hear these ugly truths. I truly grieve in my heart that you must find out about the ugliness that lurks deep within your friend. But unfortunately, feelings cannot stand in the way of facts. And the facts show that Lieutenant Commander Nithis' excuses are flimsy, ethereal, a smokescreen meant to obscure our vision. Let me be clear. Lieutenant Commander recklessly killed her fellow military members and fellow officers. If we had our most generous, our most whimsically lenient, we conclude that she lost control of her magic, a punishable offense, and used it to kill her fellow officers in a moment of lack of self-control. You see, the, building, the burden of guilt is on her, and so you must find her guilty. Guilty of murder and guilty of desertion. Good day. Thank you, Prosecutor Lucocio. Barrister Iran, your closing argument for the defense. <coughs> um, covered by Gwen's loud coughing, I touch Barrister Iran's shoulder and cast guidance. I, I don't know what that means. Uh, it just means you get some, you get a magical enhancement to your speech. Okay. <clears throat> uh, Barrister Arin sits up even even stronger. Just uh, it's like a bolt of uh, just just. Uh, I don't think cocaine exists within this universe. But it does. It's <laughs> on a rail. Um, uh, yes, yes, yes. Here we are at the end with so many unanswered questions. But here are the two questions the intercessors should consider. Why did the woman strike Lieutenant Reagan? We have testimony from the deceased in this matter that says the woman came up and began to strike Lieutenant Reagan. And we also have many testimony that says this was simple. This was a simple mission. No one was concerned about this. People were scared, people were worried, but this was normal, this was regular. And suddenly a woman comes up and begins to strike Lieutenant Reagan. So much has been made about the actions of Lieutenant Reagan, of Lieutenant Commander Nithis, about many of the people here, but the actions we have not investigated are the townspeople of Blexley. So I will ask the intercessors, what could have caused this woman to have run up a member of the Navy to this team, 6'3", trained in, in military combat, and begin to strike him. What would cause her to do this? All the weapons were gone. She had nothing. What would cause a person to run into what could be certain death? That's our first question. Our second question, if there was a gap between when the two lightning bolts occurred. 
the one that hit Lieutenant Reagan, and then a split second later, the one that hit the commander. But why the gap? If Lieutenant Commander Nuthis was simply trying to remove the commanders, why even give that split second? We've heard in testimony today that split seconds matter, that when she felt her life was in danger, she reacted to protect herself or protect the innocent. So why this gap? So now let's work through the first question. Lieutenant Commander Nithis has said that she witnessed Lieutenant Reagan slit the throat of an unarmed civilian. And then a woman comes up and begins to strike Lieutenant Reagan. Now, how is it that she does not notice Lieutenant Reagan being struck? How is it that her commander does not see the death of this civilian? I will say what matters here is the sequence of events. Here is what happened. Lieutenant Reagan grabbed a member of the crowd and slit the throat of the civilian, killing them. Lieutenant Commander Nithis saw this and looked at her commander. In that moment, a woman runs up and begins to strike Lieutenant Reagan because he had killed either a member of her family or a member of the town. But Lieutenant Commander Nithis doesn't see this. All she sees is her commander and she looks at her commander's face and sees nothing, no expression. And in that instant, she realizes her commander is not supporting her. This is what she believes. She has seen a member of her team kill a civilian. She has turned to her commander who is looking in that direction, who looks at her and smiles. This is clear. In that moment, that moment, she first reacts to protect the innocent. She attacks Lieutenant Commander Regan. She attacks Lieutenant Regan to prevent more blood from being shed. Then looks at her commander. She looked. That look is important because that look was her ensuring that what her commander was doing mattered. And if her commander had said something, had reacted differently, this would be a different trial. If that moment hadn't happened, this would be a different trial. But that matter, that moment occurred. Lieutenant Commander Nithis gave that split second time to occur, and then she reacted. Two questions, Your Honor. Why did the woman strike Lieutenant Regan? Why the split second gap between the two attacks? Now, what I will say is that all Lieutenant Commander Nithis had to do within that split second was nothing. Any one of us may have failed in that moment of truth. When the time came, we could have stopped and allowed members of our team to continue to kill innocent civilians. It would be so easy to say, well, I didn't want to react. There wasn't time. It'd be so easy to be one of the 
cogs in this machine of our military. But I will say, Lieutenant Commander Nithis is that troublesome spring. And the moment came, she said, no, this is wrong. No, I will not participate. No, I will protect the innocent. And she reacted in an instant because that is who Lieutenant Commander Nithis is. She protects the innocent even onto her own life. And what I say is I'm called back to that toy of mine, that little metal sailor. Go back to that point. Now, my father ended up pulling out that troublesome spring and replaced it with a weaker one. And the toy worked for a time. Within a week, the poor thing exploded. You see, the spring had never been the problem. It had only stopped working when the stress on the little machine became too great. The thing had been made of metal too weak, too much was expected from it. And instead of fixing it, instead of taking the time to fix the hole, my father ensured its destruction. Intercessors, I pray you will look at this matter as a problem with the whole, not the part. Sentence Lieutenant Commander Nithis and you sentence the empire to destruction. It becomes a place where wanton murder of civilians can be commonplace, where my trust within the, within the Navy, within our military, within our great empire is shaken to its very core, as I know many of my countrymen will be shaken as well. Now I say, Lieutenant Commander Nithis has done her part. She has exposed the rot and the rust at the core of the empire, members of our military who would kill the very civilians they are meant to protect. She has done her part. Now I will say do yours. Find her not guilty of this crime. Lest you let the truly guilty Lieutenant Regan destroy us all. So Aaron Barrister sits down. The uh, characters around you clap quietly. Intercessor Relevico says, thank you for that argument, Barrister Ron. Me and the fe my fellow intercessors will now adjourn and decide our verdicts. We shall be back momentarily. We ask that you not leave the chamber. So they boxes descend back to the floor and they file out. Um, those of you on the uh, uh, defense side, what do you do while you're waiting? Also, uh, Aaron and Lucasio, this is um, 
Oh no, you're gonna get the verdict this session, Amanda. Okay, good. I was like, I was you're gonna, gonna leave. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna dick you over like that. Also, Ruben and Eli need to be here for it. So that's true. Um, uh, I will say though, Prosecutor Lacascio and Aran, it is unusual that she asked you to remain in the chambers. Oh, for both of us. Okay. Yeah, like a fast, the fast, the fast decision. Uh, you don't know. Uh, what do you guys? No, I'm asking in character. Yes. Oh, yes, Ron. <laughs> yes. Ron, you have no idea. Oh, it's, it's, it's I missed that the last part. Oh, oh uh, the fact that they asked you to remain in the chamber is unusual. Okay. So I asked if it was, was going to be a super fast decision, and I'm like, what does that mean? Well, Brindley, I'll say a lot of strange things have happened today. Um, this is the first yeah. time that. Uh, a surprise witness has uh, traveled not only to the courtroom, but six feet up from where they were buried. <laughs> and regardless of what happens, I may have a new field of law that I will go into. Um, are there appeals in Wintavian court? Appeals? Oh, yeah. It's appeal. Oh, I think I think that gives you really good, really good grounds for an appeal. Oh yes, I, I'm, I'm simply concerned about the Supreme Winhavian uh, Court, which is unfortunately very, very conservative. This <laughs> 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 right. I turn around and do a thumbs up towards Nithis's family. I was actually going to say, Nithis, uh, your your mom and dad come over and give you a hug along with your sister and your brother. Um, Hi, I'm Ridley. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we'll we'll get into uh, a longer scene with them on next session. But uh, they they um, they're very happy for you, and they think the trial went well. So Ooh, they're optimistic. Okay. Uh, after about twenty minutes, um, the doors that you came through open up, uh, and two armed guards step in and step on either side of the door as the door is shut. Uh, same on the defense side as well. It's not both, though. I think it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. Mm -hmm. I don't agree. <laughs> it's going to be concerned. excellent and awesome, and everything's going to be fine. I'm so nervous. Um, uh, and then after another 10 minutes, uh, the doors next to you, Lucasio, open up, and Commander Draven uh, comes back in uh, with an armed guard next to him. Good. Hmm. I imagine Barrister Iran is still just furiously jotting down notes about his estate law practice. Like, <laughs> this is going to change everything. Can I insight check? The undead guy. Yes. God, I have to get the dice out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bother. It was really good. Uh, 24. Wow. I have plus seven. What are you trying to determine? <clears throat> he, he, seems, he seems shady as fuck. He does not seem happy to be there. All right, after a few more minutes, um, 
the uh, intercessors come back in. Uh, the Finance Bailiff has you all stand back up again as they get into their boxes and the boxes raise up. Uh, Admiral, um, uh, Grand Intercessor Brilaveco says, uh, we have all reached our verdicts. Um, but before we read them off, uh, Admiral Corrales, you have the floor. <clears throat> Admiral Corrales says, yes, thank you. Um, Fantasy Bailiff, would you please escort <laughs> Commander Draven to the Throne of Truth? Uh, Commander Draven looks at you, Lucocio, and says, this is quite unorthodox. Uh, and Nonetheless, we serve our empire at our empire's pleasure. Please approach their imperial majesty. Because there's no objection you can, you can give in. I don't know. This is not my trial. I don't know why I have to do this. We serve the law here, Sarah. And in the hands of the law, the innocent have nothing to fear. Can I hear this conversation from where I am? Uh, yes, why not? I'm going to make eye contact with Draven and mouth because you're full of shit. <laughs> he, if he notices you, he doesn't respond. Uh, he walks down the I steps with his head held up high as somebody befitting his station and privilege in this nation. Uh, Admiral Corrales says, um, Commander Draven, I appreciate your cooperation with the court. As the intercessor for the Navy, I wanted to take advantage of this opportunity since you are so recently rejoined among the living uh, and giving some concerning testimony we heard today. Uh, can you sit in the chair, please? Uh, Commander Draven sits down. She says, can you give us your name? He says, so. Uh, he kind of looks confused. He says, Commander Ernest Draven. And can you give us a falsehood just to make sure that the chair is working? He says, I love peaches. I think they taste delicious. And the char goes, boom. Okay, thank you. Commander Draven, did you witness Lieutenant Macario Reagan slit the throat of a child? And he says, I'm sorry. She says the question is simple and I will require just to say simple yes or a no. Did you witness Lieutenant Macario Ragan slit the throat of a child? Uh, and he says, of course not. And there's a loud bong. Sorry, that was me. <laughs> she says, you'll repeat the answer in a truthful fashion. And he says, so I saw it, doesn't matter. She says, um, were you under direct orders to, did you give direct orders to your men to attack the civilians of, of Bexley? He says, no. She says, fair enough. She says, has Lieutenant Macario Ragan slain a civilian unprovoked before? A yes or no answer, please. He sits there for a good 30 seconds and he says, Yes. She says, have you slain a civilian that was unarmed? A yes or no answer, please. And he kind of lowers his head a bit and he says, yes. Thank you. 
you'll be taken away and will stand trial for your crimes. Put him in the break. <laughs> uh, and he uh, stands up and uh, the uh, guards come down and they grab him and he kind of struggles a bit, uh, but they slap some manacles on him. Is this the fridge? And as they lead him back up the stairs, he looks over at you, Nethys, and he just says loudly for everyone to hear, he says, this isn't over. This will not be forgotten. I just wave goodbye. <laughs> we apologize Yay. for the interruption, however, given the flight risk nature of, of Commander Draven, we wanted to get that out of the way while the opportunity presented itself. Yes, quite unorthodox. Many unorthodox things in this trial, but <laughs> we, we do persist. All right, uh, please, um, your verdicts. Minister Byrne, your verdicts first, please. Uh, Minister Byrne stands up. Uh, they look you at you directly, Lieutenant Commander Nithis, and they say, on the count of uh, desertion, we find Lieutenant Commander Nithis guilty. Uh, on the count of on the remaining counts of murder, we find her not guilty by reason of extenuating circumstance. Thank you. Admiral Corrales, she stands up. She says, on the count of desertion of duty, we find Lieutenant Commander Nithis Eltman guilty. On the counts of murder of a subordinate, we find her guilty. On one count of murder of a fellow officer, we find her not guilty. On one count of a murder of a superior officer, we find her guilty. She sits down. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Well, as the grand imperial intercessor representing the interests of the empire I find Lieutenant Commander Nithis Eltman guilty of one count of desertion of duty. For the remaining counts, the Empire finds her not guilty by means of extenuating circumstances. Holy shit. <laughs> I can't believe I'm not going to jail. <laughs> For your sentence, you will be stripped of your rank and pension dishonorably discharged from the Windhavian Navy and will lose all rights and responsibilities earned from there. Additionally, you are exiled from the Windhavian Empire. She says, um, we will be teleporting you uh, in three days time and you may not return to the Windhavian Empire for the remainder of your life. Thus, the court has decided. I grab Vin Vinley's arm. And nope, it's up. It's up. <laughs> are you? Are you? I have a question. In character or out of character? In character. Then you can ask it to. Because Aram. I would ask it. Yeah. Um. Question. Question. Uh. So this whole banish from the empire thing. What if the empire comes to her? Because it likes to do that. <laughs> well, then she'll have to leave. It seems like bullshit. <laughs> hey, hey, Brindley, 
it seems like I got off as well as could possibly be expected. So let's just roll with it. All right. Okay. Well, uh, that is where we'll end the session. Um, <laughs> um, Lord, that was stressful. Uh, Eli and Ruben, both of you very well argued. Thank you so much. Yay. Thank you, Thank you awesome. very much. You guys great. There were, um, there were definitely scenarios uh, where she was guilty of all the charges and innocent of all the charges, and so. Uh, oh. Thank you for not thank you for not killing our friend, you two. <laughs> <laughs> Eli's like I wasn't. I was. Well, Eli tried really hard. Yeah, that's good. Very he should have. He should have. He followed the handout I gave him very well. Nice. <laughs> I even like the carrot he gave you, the off-book carrot of. <laughs> right. Look, if Santiago was not to be touched, yeah, <laughs> yeah, are always fun. <laughs> oh god <laughs> strong uh strong um prosecutor from the film jfk vibes for your closing argument <laughs> <laughs> by the way I, I really expected more to be made about just the town being wiped off the map so i was gonna make a whole like the entire military is corrupt and so when the commander was like, nah, nah, it's fine. Never heard of any orders like that. I was like, okay. So I had <laughs> like, like three quarters of what I wrote. Yeah, oh, no. uh, so um, the compartmentalization uh, of the of the uh, Navy really worked well there. <laughs> um, uh, I'm gonna stop the recording.